Hi, I'm Lanise Brothers, a registered nutritionist, women's health, hormone, and menstrual cycle coach, and the founder of Eat Love Move, a nutrition and well-being practice. This is the Period Story Podcast, where in each episode, I sit down with a guest to talk about their period story. We get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods and so much more. Now, on to today's guest. On today's episode, we have Leanne Young. Leanne has built a solid career in health and safety within the utilities industry. She's passionate about what she does and is responsible for creating and cultivating a culture where people are happy, energized, and engaged at work, both physically and emotionally. This is truly one of the most powerful conversations I've had on the show, and I really can't wait for you to hear it. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. So let's start off by getting into the question I ask everyone. Tell me the Mm -hmm. story of your first period. Yes. So it was non-eventful. I've been trying to dig back into the vault uh, going back around 30 years. And I just remember that it was one of those events that, oh, okay, this has happened. Um, I was very matter of fact about it. Switched into autopilot, went to the shops bought some sanitary pads, got home. Um, and then I think I told my mum, uh, I remember her being in the kitchen and I told her. And again, very matter of, matter of fact for her. And then I think a few hours later, I remember my dad almost saying to me, oh, so your mother has told me about your, um, you've started your menstrual cycle, a very formal. <laughs> and um, I just felt, oh, I just felt like I wanted to die. Um, and he said to me, um, right, Leanne, so you've got to keep your room tidy now and shower every day. And literally that was it. That was the extent of my first period. Uh, How old were you? I think I was 12 or 13 years old when I first started. Yeah. So you, you said you were very matter of fact about it. Yeah. You went to the shops on your own. How did you, how did you know what to get? I think it was just through ads on TV. Um, I knew that I, I remember actually looking in the, in the chemist um, at tampons and I thought, well, can't do that. Don't really know how any of that works. So I'll just buy a pad. That, that's safe. That's easy. Um, and that's what I did. And then you, you have the conversation with your parents separately mm-hmm. and how did you learn more about what was happening to your body? Um, I, I didn't learn anything about periods um, via my parents. Um, I learned all about it at school um, and in magazines. And I think Judy Bloom was quite significant in my life um, and taught me everything that I needed to know about relationships, boys, <laughs> periods etc so that was it and obviously you know the um the standard class that you have in high school um when the teacher stands in front of 30 kids or an assembly and says this is what happens to girls this is what happens to boys that's it uh, I actually remember being in an assembly um and we were talking about periods it was actually quite bizarre and um, this boy said, miss, my mum said that she bleeds a bucket load. Is that true? 
And um, it was at that was the point where I learned that actually you don't bleed a bucket load. And I remember <laughs> her saying that um, a woman bleeds probably half a well, the entire time of their period, sorry, um, can fill up like half a, a teacup of blood. And I thought, oh, OK, I could deal with that. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Literally. That's all I learned at school. The rest was with my peers. Go back to Judy Bloom. Yeah. What's your favorite Judy Bloom book? Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Oh, that's <laughs> one of my favorites too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she was quite significant in my upbringing and amongst, you know, my, my friends at the time. You, we read, all, you know, all the naughty bits and the things that you can't talk to your parents about. Um, and it was it was really quite nice, isn't it? And it's nice to talk to your friends about things like that and you all are sharing the same experience aren't you all at the same time and yeah I it was yeah very systematic no issue no drama that was it when you think back now to the conversations you were having with your peers do you think about things that you said and think wow that was totally wrong or did you feel like you generally got it right um I think that I generally got it right actually and it was when I think back now to my childhood I I think back very fondly because I I I sound really old saying this but life was a lot simpler back then yeah I'm only 41 but actually it was and we spent so much time with each other and outside away from our parents and I remember um I went to a, a friend's house in I used to live in Bristol when I was quite young and we were going to go swimming in Henley's Lake. And I said, oh, I can't go swimming because I'm on my period. And my friend's sister said, oh, but Leanne, you can go swimming. And I went, how can I do that? My pad's going to get soggy or something. And it's <laughs> ridiculous, isn't it? But she said, oh, no, have you tried these? And, um, and I was like, no, I've never tried. And it was a tampon. And she said, look, this is what you do. And she, she was the older sister, right? Yeah. And she showed me the tampon and she said, this is what you do blah, blah, blah. And it will be fine. And we can all go swimming and it'll be great. So I was like, oh, okay. And I, and I remember feeling really nervous and thinking, oh God, I've got to get this right. Um, but then also I can go swimming. So I went to the bathroom, tried to figure it out, clearly did it wrong because I could feel it. Yeah. And, um, but I remember I went, I went swimming, I went swimming <laughs> in the lake. I don't cough or anything just in case the damn thing popped out. But you know, it, it plugged me, <laughs> it, you know, put a plug in it for, for a while and, um, and everything was okay. And then after that point, that's when I started to use tampons a, a little bit more because I wasn't scared of them. Somebody had introduced them to me. Um, and I thought, okay, here's another option. Um, so over the years, I just started to, I suppose, build my confidence in terms of what's out there and what, you know, could suit me, how I could, continue to live the life that I was living um whilst I'm on my period so yeah so you had that was a real turning point for you that that moment with your friend's sister um Mm -hmm. and then as you as you got older Mm -hmm. did your relationship with your period change um yes and no um so like I said it was never really a a huge deal for me um when I was younger because the environment was very supportive as I said with my friends I felt that I was part of a club everyone was going through the same thing it was fine 
Um, things started to change for me when I got diagnosed with endometriosis. I was 21 years old when that happened. And prior to the diagnosis, I thought, oh, this, what is this tummy cramp? And I thought, well, as it's down there, it must all be related to um, obviously my, my, um, my reproductive system and periods and, and whatever. And that's when I started to um, resent, I suppose, having to go through all of this, you know, being a woman, you know, what's all this about? And then, you know, from dealing with excruciating pain and not understanding what that was to then quickly being diagnosed with endometriosis to then being um, provided with options, um, which obviously at first was medication, uh, just to see, you know, what happened uh, with, with the meds, which was um, sort of a variation of the contraceptive pill. Mm. Um, and then that didn't work. It didn't work for me um, because I was very aware of how my, how I was, um, I was acting differently. The, the hormone changes changed me as a person. I didn't like it. Um, I felt like I wasn't in control of me. So I said, no, I, I, I can't get on with that. And so then to go from that to, okay, well, hysterectomy. And I thought, hang on a minute, I'm 21. I was quite, I'm quite pleased through my upbringing, actually, that there are certain things that I just think, well, hang on a minute. No, that's not quite right. I don't agree with that. So, um, but I, I did feel uh, like what was happening to me at the time was uh, awful. I, I hated it. And I blamed it on, you know, sort of being a woman. Why, why me? It was definitely, why me? I don't want to have to deal with this. So that's when things changed for me. But then when I got the endometriosis more under control, um, I didn't have a hysterectomy. Um, what I actually did was um, started to, that's when I started to really listen to my body um, and try to uh, tune in to the signals that it was giving me. And so what I did was I controlled uh, my endometriosis and I'm not saying that, you know, everybody else can do this um, through a more sort of holistic um, approach, breathing techniques, yeah, to breathe through the pain. That's what I did and that's what worked for me. And so the endometriosis didn't go away. It's still there. However, I've managed it. Hmm. I managed it. I want to go back to your original diagnosis. So you were 21 and you said that you were diagnosed quite quickly. Which yeah. Is, you were quite lucky, I have to say, because it, it takes an average of between seven to 10 years to get an endometriosis <gasps> diagnosis. Yeah. Wow. But what I find quite interesting and actually very shocking is that at 21, the doctors were saying that you needed to have a hysterectomy. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And um, I had, oh, no, it wasn't at 21. Sorry. Um, but that's when I got diagnosed. And then when did I get married? I got married when I was 25. So actually, um, from diagnosis through to having a laparoscopy, uh, through to the, you know, the hormone treatments or whatever. So that all happened over a period of sort of five years. And then because nothing was getting any better, really, they said, well, look, here, here, here are your options. Um, and I said, well, I'm just going to keep going as I am then, because 
I, I'm not going to have I'm not going to have a hysterectomy at such a young age. And it was been between the age of you know 21, 25. So yeah, that's that is I, I find that really shocking that that they would suggest that because what I see a lot is that doctors typically want to preserve fertility and mm. then it's more when women are in their mid 40s and beyond that they start suggesting hysterectomies for conditions like endometriosis, adenomyosis, fibroids. And then it becomes a conversation about, well, you've already had your children or your past childbearing age, so you don't need your these organs anymore, which we know is completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting that you had that conversation quite early. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the techniques that you use to manage your endometriosis, because mm-hmm. it is something that I certainly talk about it with my clients a lot. The idea that you're, you can, you can reduce the pain control. Mm through breathing but also through different nutrition and lifestyles technique how did was it a case of trial and error for you to find the breathing techniques that worked for you uh yes it was um (laughs) I laugh because when um when I got the pain and it is excruciating pain which stops you dead in your tracks and you just can't do anything your body tenses up everything tenses and you have, and you're just, you know, like a, like a solid uh, a brick. And I just thought, well, I've seen on, on TV, I, I've, you know, I've seen women give birth and they are doing, they are breathing and they are breathing, doing the, you know, that kind of uh, breathing. So I, I just thought, well, if, if a woman is able to give birth um, and use this breathing technique, and she, she's obviously suffer, suffering uh, with a lot of pain, then how about I try that? And that's what I, start, I, I, I started doing. So I would, I, I'm just trying to think now whether I get any kind of um, initial signs. I think I kind of know when something's going to happen. And as the pain um, sort of hit, hits me, I then just start that and, and then get slower and slower and slower until... It, it eases and it goes. And I try as much as possible to not tense, to keep my body tense. I try to just let it go and just almost work through it. Yeah. There's so much, so many interesting things in what you've just said there. So firstly about breathing, we know that if we think about a practice like yoga, where breathing, so the pranayama is a core part of the practice. And what we know is that when you regulate your breathing, so you're the the inhale and the exhale, that mm-hmm. can shift your nervous system and mm-hmm. calm down um, so many different areas, so mentally but also physically. The other the other thing you mentioned, which I see a lot with um, my clients with endometriosis, is the tensing. Yeah, and you see that they often physiotherapy is really powerful for women with, with endo because of that, that tensing and the, that the effect that that has on the pelvis, but also mm-hmm. on a biological level, because when you're tensing, your body is using a lot of calcium, mm-hmm. but then when you relax, you start to use more 
magnesium. Right. And so that tensing, it kind of, you don't, that process of magnesium and calcium doesn't happen in the body. So, um, yeah, what you're saying is just, it, it's your, it, it aligns with so many other conversations. Oh, thank, I've had. thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's very common with, with women with endometriosis. They, they tense a lot, but mm. then you want introduce something like, um, magnesium and other and some physiotherapy um techniques that help unwind the body a little bit right. mm-hmm. it can make a massive difference yeah yeah i'm sure i'm sure it i'm sure it can yeah pretty sure it can so you got you got your diagnosis and then you use these various techniques to manage the pain mm-hmm. and then and then what happened next right so i got married um and me and my husband lived in a lovely little marriage bubble for for years, which was great. And then we decided that we wanted to have a baby. So we fell pregnant. I fell pregnant very, very quickly after we started uh, trying. And um, again, that was fantastic news. We were in a really lovely, happy bubble, but then I suffered a miscarriage. Um, I woke up one morning and, um, I just knew something wasn't wasn't right because I had I had blood in my um in my underwear. Um yeah, we went to the to the hospital and that's when they told us that we'd lost the baby. And um so that was obviously a really awful time. Uh I remember that when they did the internal scan, they said that I had a 10 centimeter fibroid uh in my womb and I, I was shocked, didn't know anything about fibroids. And they said that that was um, what had caused the miscarriage. So I, we sort of said, okay, well, what, what do we do? What do we do now? Um, and the, I remember, because this was quite a number of years ago, I remember the doctors saying, well, we have to, I don't know, do some kind of investigation or, or something. And we said, well, does this mean that we can't have, is it going to be difficult to have children, more children? And obviously the stock answer, well, we don't know, um, but it, it may inhibit uh, or, or reduce your chances of a viable pregnancy. But anyway, I think, I don't know what happened. Me and my husband just decided to just crack on and um, <laughs> we fell pregnant again. Um, and um we had a viable pregnancy because I now have Eva. Um, but I do remember again uh, having, well, not again, but I had a very significant bleed uh, quite early into the pregnancy. And I thought again that I'd lost the baby, I'd lost Eva. Um, but luckily I, I, I hadn't. And, um, and we now have a, a beautiful 12-year-old daughter. So yeah so what happened with that with that fibroid I, I don't know um but I'm, I'm sure we're going to come on to that in a minute <laughs> so what's interesting about what you said is that a lot of women get told who have fibroids is that that they won't be able to have children mm-hmm. and you unfortunately had a miscarriage due to the fibroid but then you had a viable pregnancy so mm-hmm. it's really interesting because they, you can have different outcomes with fibroids. Um, talk a little bit more about what happened with your fibroids after you, you gave birth. Um, so 
at that at that time I I gave birth to Eva and then I forgot about it I didn't do I I didn't consider it because I had my baby um I won't go into it but quite frankly I don't think it was the fibroid that was the issue I think it was something else okay um and Anyway, no, I won't go into that because it will make me very angry. But okay. I, I don't, I don't think it was the it was the fibroid. Um, so I left it. I left it for years and years and years. Continued just to to um, live my life. Um, but then I, um, I I got unwell again, and this time it was my thyroid. So I was diagnosed with hyper um, thyroidism, and my options at the time um was to have oh I can't remember it now but a, a radioactive ingredient that goes in that you in, ingest um or to have the thyroid gland removed so I was really suffering with the hyperthyroidism for a number of years I didn't know at the time that why I was you know the symptoms I had I didn't realize they were related so it was you know extreme sweating um, mood changes, again, really quite extreme, um, you know, loss of memory, just erratic sort of um, behaviours. Uh, I was eating like a rugby player, but I was losing significant amounts of weight. Uh, I was never putting any weight on. It was, it was quite ridiculous, actually, when I think back on it. But the worst thing was how it affected me uh, emotionally, my mental health, um, I was really struggling at that time. And so, again, presented with an option to have the thyroid gland removed. And because the years before that was so hard um, with me and my husband, we thought that this was the best option for me. I had the surgery, um, but again, prior to that, they try a load of medication and, and whatever. I did all of that. Nothing worked for me. So I had a total thyroidectomy. Um, surgery went a bit peak tong. Um, I had to, I went into, I had to be put into, and well, actually the surgery didn't go wrong. It was the after bit. Luckily I was put straight into intensive care. Uh, that's what my surgeon does routinely for all her patients after a thyroidectomy. I essentially started suffocating when they took out all the breathing apparatus. And so they had to intubate me and I was in an induced coma for four or five days. Um, and, and then obviously I came round, um, and then dealt with after that sort of coming, coming to terms with all of that and what happened, um, potential loss of life. Um, me and my husband and my daughter went through maybe two, three years of trying to get our heads around all of that. Um, and that's when I realized because then afterwards uh, I was told that my parathyroid glands were damaged so not only did I have to start taking thyroxine, I, I, have, I had to start taking um, a calcium uh, replacement as well. Um, and this is something that I have to do now for the rest of my life. And in terms of the, the thyroids as well, it is very, very difficult. It is a long journey to get the balance right, to get the mm. balance of thyroxine right. And I, you know, just completely exhausted by it. And again, that whole why me sick of this you know this is horrendous so I forgot about everything else that was going on in my life because I had to focus on that because that was the biggest thing that was happening 
I didn't know what was happening with my periods, really. I, 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 I tuned out of that because actually up to that point, I was every 28 days, you know, regular as clockwork, no issue, really. And then I started to notice that my periods were getting really quite heavy, really heavy. But then I thought, well, this must just come with age. This is what happens. And then I started to pin everything on my thyroid issue, my hormones. And I thought, oh, okay, this is maybe just something else that's related to that that I have to deal with. I'll just crack on. Um, So if we fast forward a couple of years, um, so let's go to um, 2016, yeah? I started a new job. Um, every, this is about four years after my total thyroidectomy. Everything was going fine. Um, after a year into that job, the, my periods were so heavy that I couldn't, I, I was scared to leave the house for fear of, um, so driving, I live, I, I live in, in West London, but I work in Hertfordshire. It's a 15 minute drive from my house to, to the office. And in that time period, I would have filled up a um, maxi uh, pad and also a super plus tampon in that 15 minute period. And it got to the point where I was so scared that I would get to work or get to the car park and I would have come through that I would just have to turn around and go home. So really, there was no point in me going into the office when I was on my period. Um, And that's when things started to change for me because I thought, well, hang on, this is starting to affect my my life. This is starting to affect my work. I can't, how can I phone up my director and say, I can't come into the office because I'm on my period. It sounds utterly ridiculous, but it's the truth. Um, so I had to suck it up. I had to deal with it. I had to do, I dealt, well, I didn't have to, but I dealt with the accidents, you know, the embarrassment, the, this is just what, what's happening to me right now. Um, and then I started to notice other things. I started to notice, um, a, a change in, um, my eyesight. Um, I'd be driving and, uh, the right side of my eye was, would, I would almost lose a bit of my peripheral vision. Uh, which started to frighten me, I started to notice that I was extremely tired. Um, I'd go to sleep, I'd wake up, and it would, it would, I'd feel like I hadn't actually slept. And I thought, what the hell, what's going on? Didn't connect the dots at the time. Just thought, oh, Leanne, you know, you're a mess, but just keep going, right? Mm. So I kept going until... Um, I just thought, no, this is probably dangerous now. Me, me driving, don't know what's going on. I started yoga and was loving it. Bikram yoga, absolutely fantastic for the mind and the body. Yeah. And then I started to uh, feel really faint in my yoga, in the yoga classes. Every, I just thought, what's going on? Is it because it's too hot? But hang on, I've been doing this for a while now. But literally feeling like I was just going to pass out. So I stopped. I stopped going to yoga. Um, I went to the GP. They sent me to, um, I went to the GP, went to the opticians and obviously everything, nothing came back uh, sort of conclusive. You know, you're fine. Um, Everything is okay. But then, um, so I thought, okay, fine. Kept going, kept going. Things were getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, I started to speak to my sister. When I, whenever I was speaking to my sister on the phone, she said, Leanne, are you running or something? I said, no. 
She said, well, why are you so short of breath? And I said, really? I said, no, I'm not doing anything. I'm just walking around the house. So shortness of breath, um, extreme fatigue, um, sort of uh, loss of uh, sort of memory, uh, not able to concentrate. Um, you know, I could list all these things, classic signs of anemia. Mm. So um, I went to the doctor again and had another blood test, used to these because of my thyroid um, uh, condition. And the doctor said to me, wow, Leanne, your iron, your hemoglobin and ferritin levels are so low, I actually need to admit you to hospital, like right now. Wow. So I said, what, what, what the hell, what, what's all this about? What's going on? Why? And she said, well, tell me about your periods. Uh, I said, well, you know, they're really heavy and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, right, okay, well, I think we need to do some investigation work um, to find out what's going on. Um, because it sounds like your periods are too heavy. So I thought at that point, I'm going to go via private healthcare. Mm. Yeah, because I'm so privileged that I have this facility. So I thought, okay, let, let's, let's go down that route and, and, and see what happens, what comes of that. So I um, saw a gynecologist and had a scan and the gynecologist said to me, oh, you're presenting four months pregnant. You have about six or seven fibroids in there, um, all the size of a small tangerine. Um, this is what's causing your heavy periods. Uh, when she said to me, what are your periods like? And I said, well, I use a super plus tampon um, and a pad and I have to change that every hour. And she went, whoa. And I said, is that not normal? She said, no, <laughs> I didn't know. Sounds ridiculous, but I didn't know. I thought that was normal. I thought that's what we had to go through. But it's interesting because at the beginning of the conversation, you said that you remember this lesson from school where they yes. said about of half yes. a cave cup. So it's yeah. kind of like you, what you thought was normal changed for you. Yes. Uh, based on everything you had been going through. Yes. Yes. So I pinned it on the experiences over the last sort of five, six years. Right. So I thought, well, it must be that um, I'm getting older. I've had, you know, thyroid uh, surgery. I'm, I'm taking a load of um, hormone uh, tablets or think tablets are affecting my hormones. It must be these things that's causing, you know, the heavy, the heavy periods. Um yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't know why I didn't even think about that. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so that happened. Uh, this was just last year. Um, all, all of this happened. So the first thing was to have an iron infusion, yeah, to, to actually help me feel better um, sort of immediately. And then my, the gynecologist suggested I should have a marina coil fitted. So I had the the marina coil fitted in November last year. Yeah. And what did the, virtually the iron infusion, mm. what, I mean, just for, to give a kind of clinical perspective, to have an iron infusion, you have to have a ferritin level. I think it's of below something like eight. Yeah. So yeah. it was, you, I, I can just imagine how you were feeling at the time, the heavy bleeding, the the extreme fatigue, and I see mm. that a lot with um, 
with clients with fibroids mm. that iron infusion how did you how did you feel afterwards um so the hematologist said to me <laughs> he was a great great guy um i've actually met a load of really great um doctors and, and nurses um throughout this this crazy process that i've been through crazy journey should i say um he explained to me that uh, I would feel, I would start to feel different after, you know, two, three weeks um, because essentially I was, I'd be making new blood. Mm. Um, so that would then re um, oxygenize. I don't even know if that's a word, my body. I would just start to feel the benefits then. Uh, one of the things that I noticed, so um, I have suffered from anemia uh, f- throughout my uh my life, I, I suppose, since I started uh, my, my periods. And um, it's always been up and down. Yeah. And I have been going to, to GPs and say, oh, I'm feeling tired. Not as bad as, as, you know, what I've experienced recently. Really tired. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you, you have anemia. You need to take some iron tablets. And I, keep on, I kept on saying to them, look, these iron tablets really aren't agreeing with me. Um, I'm getting really bad cramping uh, uh, pains in my stomach. I feel uh, nauseous. Um, I, uh, it's just awful. Is there no alternative? No. Here's another alternative to an, an iron tablet. Um, right. Okay, fine. I, I'll take them off you, but I, I won't take them. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I tried to introduce iron rich foods into my diet um, at, however, you know, those will only take you so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, a, a, again, in that whole time, I used to crunch ice. I used to eat ice. Yeah. All the time. And it annoyed my entire family. Right. <laughs> and I thought, what? Well, I don't even know why. It just felt like the most normal thing for me to do. I'd, you know, go into the freezer, get a load of blocks of ice, sit down and just start <laughs> eating all this ice. Right. And the most significant change that happened to me after that iron infusion was I stopped eating ice. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. and I, and I, it, I can't even begin to explain to you how huge this is in my life. Right. Whenever you see Leanne in her comfort, you know, in her comfortable space, you see Leanne with a glass of ice, right. The ice went, <laughs> and I didn't, and that was a symptom. It's one yeah. of the symptoms of, um, uh, of anemia, right? One of the weird and wonderful symptoms. That was the biggest thing that I noticed. I stopped eating ice. Um, and then slowly but surely, I started to get some energy back, uh, which was quite remarkable. I was able to go for a walk uh, to the park with my daughter um, without me, you know, feeling like I was going to pass out. So, yeah, it was quite a significant, significant change. So the, the symptom that you mentioned, it's something called pika, where you want to eat things that are non-food related because your body is just has this intense need for this, whatever the mineral is. In this case, it's iron. Um, so it's interesting. I don't see that a lot, but that's inter- oh, very right. interesting that you had that. So you had the infusion and mm. this was all last year. Yes. And and then what, what did they say to you about the, the six or seven tangerine-sized fibroids? And I just actually, for listeners who don't know what fibroids are, they are non-cancerous growths that can be 
in the uterus, within the muscular lining of the uterus, or on the other side of the uterus. And they can be as small as a cherry, and they can be as big as a watermelon. Yeah. So for you, what, what was the next step with addressing the fibroids? So the next step with, well, the next step was addressing the bleeding. Hmm. Um, so that's why we opted, uh, to go, uh, to have the marina coil fitted. So the gynecologist recommended having that procedure first and actually seeing if, um, it would stop the bleeding because or, or reduce it significantly because obviously then that's what was causing the anemia, which then was why I was getting tired, blah, 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 blah. Um, the fibroids have never caused me any pain. Yeah. So my main issue was the heavy bleeding. So that's what we thought we'd treat. Mm. Um, so we had that, I had that done in November. Um, in, so I had the marina coil fitted. Um, she said that the gynecologist also said that if she could, while she was fitting the coil, she would also try to remove any fibroids that were in the cavity of the, of the womb. Yeah. Um, and I thought, brilliant. Yeah. Double whammy. Excellent. Let's go with that. Uh, came round after the, uh, surgery and she said we couldn't, um, none of them were in the cavity. There would, it was just too difficult. They're all in the lining, as you said, mm. subserosal, submucosal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, couldn't be got, uh, got to in that way anyway. So she said, let's just see how you go. Um, and we'll just keep an eye on it. So I, um, did just that, um, immediately after, after the surgery, they give you medication, transexamic acid. I was taking to, um, stop you from bleeding too much, um, so that you don't, so that the body doesn't distort the shape, uh, you know, the, the, the embedding of the, of the coil. I stopped taking that in at the start of this year. And I thought that everything was okay. I thought, oh, okay, I, I can deal with this level of bleeding. It was every day, but I knew that there was a certain period that I had to go through whilst the coil embedded uh, in, in, in my body. Um, so I went to see the gynecologist in February this year and I said, look, everything seems okay. So far, so good. She said, great, fine. Off you go. We'll just continue to monitor. Um, and then what I noticed was at the end of April, um, I, so I was bleeding every single day. Yeah. Every single day, not really heavy, but every single day. But I thought that's okay. That this is what's supposed to happen um, for about six months, or it could could happen for about six months. This is what I was told. You were told that you would have daily bleeding for six months. Yes. So I thought, okay, that's that's fine. I'll I'll keep going with that. Um, But then towards the end of April, the bleeding got really, really heavy, and I don't want to put anybody off their meals if they're having meals at this time. But I started to pass blood clots the size of my palm um, and I started to get really scared because I thought, I don't know if this is, if this is, if this is meant to happen Um, and the bleeding wouldn't stop. And it was like I was, it was like I was a leaking tap, but a very quick leak. So this was nothing like I'd ever experienced before. Um, And all that I kept on thinking was, 
do you know what? Thank God we're in lockdown and I'm forced to stay at home because there would be absolutely no way in the world that I could go to work or do anything right now. I called the hospital. Obviously, we're in lockdown. Um, I did not want to go into hospital, but I had to call them and I said, this bleeding is really bad. It's not stopping. I'm passing these clots. I don't know what to do. They said, um, call. They said, call. Um, you might be better off contacting the, the you know, your gynecologist, the, pe- the person that fitted the coil, whatever. I obviously explained all the history. Contacted uh, the gynecologist and I said, look, I just want to know if this is to be expected or if, if something it has gone wrong here. Um, so she arranged for me to have some, some scans, internal scans. I went and had the scans and the fibroids had changed. Um, they had grown more. And um, I looked at the lady that, that did the scan and though she had a mask on her face, I could tell that she thought, well, really don't think anything's worked here. Don't think you're going to stop bleeding. And I thought, oh, for goodness sake, you know, I was really upset. Yeah. Um, so I then had a follow-up with um, my gynecologist and then was presented with some options. Um, uh, she confirmed that my fibroids had changed. They'd grown uh, even more. Um, I now developed polyps in my, in my womb. And, um, so she said, we can do a hysterectomy again, uh, a myomectomy. And she also mentioned to me taking an injection that would reduce the fibroids. So these injections every, uh, um, once, once a month for, I think a period of three months, something like that. However, they would, um, bring about menopausal symptoms. So I thought, I don't want to do that because you know my history now. I, I, I can't be dealing with any of that. Um, so the decision was between the myomectomy and the hysterectomy. And because everything was just horrendous, I, at the time we discussed, I discussed it with my husband. I said, I'm done with this. I want this over. I don't want to deal with any more um, issues to do with periods, fibroids, uh, further surgery if I opted for the my, for the myomectomy um they would remove the fibroids but then they might grow back so there might be more surgery that follows and I thought I can't be dealing with that I've done enough um so I said I want it over I'll go for the hysterectomy um as soon as she wrote that down I knew that actually maybe no (laughs) 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 but she wrote it down um I left the hospital. Me and my husband um, spoke, allowed it everything to settle. Um, and I think I just needed a bit more time. I started to think about um, my options. Is this really what I want to do? And luckily you came into my life um, and you suggested something that I'd never heard of, which was the, um, the UFE, uterine fibroid embolism. Mm-hmm. I emailed my consultant and I said, is this an option for me? We discussed it. She said that it could be. Um, however, because I have multiple fibroids, uh, I might not be the ideal candidate for that. So where are we today? I pressed pause on everything. I said to the consultant, I need more time. Um, 
I actually just want my body to settle because it's been through a lot. Um, I had another iron infusion. I had that two and a half weeks ago because obviously I know the symptoms now in terms of anemia. So I knew, I mean, you imagine if I've been bleeding since the start of the year and then, you know, sort of mid to end April, it was a very, very heavy. (laughs) My mum, I spoke to my mum, I spoke to my mum and I said, mum, this is what's happening. And she said, oh, yes, I remember, you know, so-and-so, one of her friends suffered with um, fibroids and she would be bleeding like a slain mule, right? A slain mule. Wow, that's quite a graphic image. Right, and I'm thinking, oh my God, but but oh my God, yes, that is exactly how I was bleeding. Yeah, no one should have to deal with that. Yeah, agreed. Okay, Um, so, but then... What's really interesting, so so at the moment, what I will say is I've pressed pause on everything. I feel I'm starting to feel much better because I've had the iron infusion. And it seems like my body is starting to settle down, yeah, significantly. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in, in a month's time or even in a week's time, but at the moment, I think I'm okay with where I'm at right now. Um, having a hysterectomy is a major decision even at 41, having any kind of surgery. And, and, and that's the reason why I, I don't, although I said I want it over, I don't actually take these things lightly. I've had surgery. And now I know when you have significant surgery, you remove a part of your body. It doesn't just affect that part of the body that it's been taken from, that's been you know, impacted. It impacts your entire body. Yeah, it impacts your mind as well. And for me, having gone through what I went through with my total thyroidectomy um, and knowing that these tiny little glands are massive, and I wish to God that I knew more about it at that time, because I don't think, yes, hindsight is a wonderful thing. I don't think that I would have opted to have that surgery if I knew more about it and the impact that it would have on the ongoing impact that it would have on my life. Yeah. And what I will say as well is when I, um, I did go back to my, to my GP at one point and, um, and I said to her, I asked her, I said, look, in terms of anemia, I said, do I, do I have any other options here? What are my options here? You tell me more. Don't tell me about medication. Is there, is there anything else? Can I do my own? can I take my own stuff? I've done a load of research and I know that, um, and I know that everyone keeps on talking about it now, but you know, CMOS and, um, you know, bladderwrack and dandelion and burdock and all these things. I said, you know, can, can, can I take all these things and will they give me what I need? And she said, Leanne, I'll be honest with you. I don't know enough about that. Yeah. She said, I don't know enough about it to advise you on it. She said, by all means, yes, do that. But she said, because of the stage that you're at right now, I can't recommend that for you. Yeah, you need um, to have um, you, you need to have something now. Mm. And I thought, okay, I hear you. Uh, but the learning from that is, if you allow yourself time, if you tune into what your body's actually doing, there are alternatives. Yeah, I do. I wholeheartedly believe that there are alternatives. And I think those alternatives need to be explored. What you've gone through is, is quite a journey. And what 
really interesting is throughout, as you were describing it, you, there is this, what you, you described as you just had to get on with it. You kept going, you kept going. What do you think you would say to someone who is going, going through something similar? I would say um, talk, to, talk to as many people as possible, but experts, I think. Um, if talking about it helps because there are things that other people may be uh, going through that you could probably learn from. I wouldn't have known about the UFE had my best friend not had a conversation with me about a period podcast um, and then, you know, your introduction and then you were so brave to come forward and say, but have you considered this? Mm. Right. And I think that it's about time, isn't it? That we had open conversations. Um, I've just said to you that I learned everything that I knew about periods through the conversations that I had with my friends in the playground when I was young. Yeah. And reading Judy Bloom books. Why is it that that conversation stops as we grow up? Yeah. Why does, why do we stop talking about it? Why do we feel shame or embarrassment? We shouldn't. As soon as I started talking about the coil, right? Everyone, well, most people, oh, I had that. Oh, I had that. Oh, is it really? What was your experience? Yeah. Oh, it changed my life. Oh, there's this really awful period that you have to go through where everything is embedding. But actually, when you get past that, it it changed my life. These are the conversations that people were having with me almost after the event. If I had those conversations prior, I think they probably would have helped. Yeah, I probably would have done a little bit more digging, uh, would have been more informed. Yeah, probably would have felt a bit more comfortable about what was happening at the time as well. Yeah. So I think it's important to have those conversations with people. Yeah. Yeah. What's one thing that you want to leave listeners with? You so bravely shared your story today. And I know that my listeners will take a lot out of what you've shared. What's if you kind of had to distill what everything that you've said into one thing, what would, what would you want that to be? I think it's that we know our bodies best. Yeah. And I remember somebody it might have been a yoga teacher saying something about your body is whispering to you all the time. Yeah. And you just have to listen to it. And as wishy-washy as that might sound to some people, it's actually very profound Mm. because your body is telling you it's giving you signals and it's giving you signs. And um, what I've learned is, uh, and this is the way that I'm trying to have this conversation with my daughter Um, I'm trying to to get her to understand her body, understand it. You know it best. So don't have people tell you, oh, you you need to do this or you need to do that. No, you pose some questions. If I do that, what's the impact? Mm. Yeah. Um, What do other people do? What are the alternatives? Is this the only way? Is this the only method? If you know your body and you do your research, you'll be able to have very informed discussions with experts, and I say that in inverted commas, about stuff, yeah? So I think that's the, the one thing that I would um, 
I would say to people. Yeah, you know your body best. I, I, I think that's really powerful, and that really helps helps women understand that they, when they're going into these situations with healthcare professionals, and they feel like they're being dismissed or diminished, that it it gives them the impetus to push on because if your body is whispering to you and I, my yoga teacher said that to me as well. One of my tutors when I was training, your body gives you whispers and you need to listen to the whispers. And that's where, how we've gotten to the situation where there's pain and this bleeding that so many women experience have become normalized. And we need to change that and go back to the idea of listening to your body, but really listening and really taking those learnings. Yeah. Um, can I tell you one really quick thing? Yeah. I remember the first time I had a conversation about periods um, with a group of older, older women, yeah, was with my uh, group uh, book club uh, friends, yeah? And I don't know how we got on the top. We were reading the most horrendous book at the time. I won't tell you what it was called because it, it's so embarrassing. And I actually <laughs> brought it to the table. Um, but anyway, it got us talking about periods and, and whatnot. And one of my friends said that she lost a tampon cord and she couldn't bloody, you know, get the tampon out. And she had to get a, a partner to come and find it for her. And then somebody else spoke about a cup that they used to... Um, um, rather than using tampons um, and stuff. And do you know what? We were laughing. We were laughing. We were joking. And we were having very honest conversations about what is the most normal everyday thing. How about we do more of that? Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I, again, thank you for your bravery. Thank you for your honesty. And I really hope that you find the healing that your body needs. So thank you again. You are most welcome. Thank you for having me. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.